And let's turn to the book of Hebrews, the third chapter. Lord, we look to you to feed us today on your good word. We know that it's true. We know that it is living and active and powerful. And we know, Lord, that we have a a deep need for you to speak to us and to tell us the truth because we won't arrive on it scrambling around on our own. So if we need correction today, correct us. Where we need to be taught, teach us. Where we need to be comforted and consoled, comfort and console us, Lord. Where we need to be strengthened, strengthen us. Glorify your name in us today as we come and bow before your throne. And in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. The book of Hebrews, as we've been talking about, is written to people who were contemplating abandoning the gospel, abandoning Christ, and going back to the the, the old temple system and uh, probably Phariseeism. There may have been a few Sadducees in there as well, but primarily the, the, the common religion among the people was Phariseeism. And the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to caution them about doing that and to encourage them to remain faithful in the Lord. He's speaking to two different groups of people. He's speaking to people who are genuine believers who, because of persecution or discouragement, um, or the, the impact and influence of others are being tempted to go back to something that actually seems to have a lot of substance to it, even though it was quite empty at this point. And he's also speaking to people who've made a claim to be Christians, but who are not actually Christians. And he's cautioning them to, uh, to repent and actually believe the gospel. It, Hebrews is, it draws incredibly on the Old Testament scriptures. Andy Stanley, uh, pastors a, a mega church in Atlanta, has become known over the last couple of years for some controversial statements about scripture. And one of those has been that the, the early church um, unhitched the Old Testament from the church and basically said, that, said the Old Testament doesn't matter, don't worry about it, it has no effect, it has no bearing, all you need to believe is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead Um, But it's important why Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And without the Old Testament, you don't know why he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And beyond that, if you get rid of the, the, the Old Testament, which the apostles clearly did not do, if you get rid of the Old Testament, you lose much of the New Testament. You certainly lose all of the book of Hebrews because it's, it's not based on simply what those people were facing today and what they were doing today with Jesus of Nazareth, it looks back at the historical realities of Israel and and compares their time with that time. So the, this morning, if you want to just kind of hold your place, put a, put a piece of paper or the, your marker ribbon there in Hebrews 3, you can turn back in the book of Numbers with me to Numbers chapter 13. <coughs> Hebrews 3 and 4, while you're turning, let me explain. Hebrews 3 and 4 and much of the book of Hebrews is, is based upon a, a specific 
episode within the history of Israel. And I want to just review that episode today in Numbers 13 and 14. As Numbers 13 opens up, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So God commands Moses to send out 12 men to spy out the land. In verse 17 of Numbers 13, Moses gives them the instruction. Go up there into the Negev. That's a word that means south, so the, the south of the Dead Sea. Go up into the, the Negev, then go up into the hill country. That would be Judea. See what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. And the time was the time for the first ripe grapes. So the, the spies went out and they spent 40 days surveying the land of Canaan. And then they returned. Verse 25 says, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. That was a, a cluster of grapes that was so heavy it had to be carried on a pole between two men. Then they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev in the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, that's Judea, and the Canaanites are living by the sea, that's the Mediterranean, and by the side of the Jordan, so probably describing the area of Galilee. So this whole land is a good land, but the whole land is occupied by foreign tribes, foreign nations, and victory is simply impossible. But then verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. But the people responded, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. So it kind of makes me wonder, what, what is the land doing? Is it a land of milk and honey, and the inhabitants are so fat off of that land that we can't destroy them? Or is it a land that is so brutally harsh that it, it devours its inhabitants? Which, which lie are you going to go with, guys? They're just going to go with both. Verse Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So the people are actually so discouraged by the report of these ten 
that they not only rebel against the Lord, they rebel against Moses and Aaron, and they actually say it would be better for us to either die here or go back and be slaves again. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. God shows up. (coughs) When God shows up at this point, it's not a good sign. This is not a good thing that God has shown up. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater greater and mightier than they but Moses said to the Lord, Well, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought, us, you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man... Then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people even from Egypt until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they're making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness." Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you have not come into the land. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. 
Your children, however, whom you said would be a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition." I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went out to spy out the land. So we have this situation, this event, where Moses sends the 12 men into the land to spy out the land. The 12 return. 10 say victory is impossible. 2 say victory is assured. The people believe the 10. The people rebel against the Lord. Joshua then says again, In chapter 14, victory is possible, don't rebel, but they want to stone them. God shows up, condemns that generation. He's going to kill all of them and begin with Moses. Moses intercedes, and then the Lord says, okay, I will answer that prayer of of Numbers 14, 18, um, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means clearing the guilty. So the Lord begins by saying, I'm going to destroy the nation, Moses intercedes, then God says, I will pardon the nation, but I will not pardon this generation. And that generation doesn't die immediately. The ten men die immediately um, because of their sin against the Lord. The generation remains alive so that they can raise up the next generation to go into the land. All of the people 20 and older die there in the land and, and don't enter. So then... In Hebrews 3, this is the event that the writer of Hebrews 3 is is calling his letter readers, his recipients, to remember. When he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. That's the heart of the spies. It was an evil, unbelieving heart. And the spies were able to pollute and contaminate the, the virtually the entire gathering of adults. And perhaps even some of the teenagers would have been affected by it, but the Lord had mercy on them. What's stunning here is that 10 men who disbelieved God, it's not that they weren't certain, it's not that they had questions or concerns, they actively disbelieved. And they actively accused God they impacted hundreds of thousands. Scripture says that 600,000 left Egypt. Now, if that is the total population, then the the population of adults is is probably half of that or maybe a little bit less than half. If it's 600,000 men, which is often how the uh, census numbers are reflected in Scripture, then there's, there's several million with men, women, and children who have left the disease and the disbelief of, of these ten was contagious. 
and it led to a rejection of the Lord by the by the uh, the crowds, by the congregation of Israel. James three five says this. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And we experienced that in our time several years ago. What was called the the station fire in San Diego burned tens of thousands of acres, did millions, tens of millions of dollars worth of damages, killed a number of people, was started because a hiker got lost and he started a fire as a signal fire and it got out of control. And it it just took over. Coming from California, uh, fire season hits every fall. It's because everything is bone dry. There hasn't been any rain yet. There, there might be a natural cause like a lightning strike, but most of them are set by arsonists because it's just the ripe time to, to start a fire. And so thousands, tens of thousands of acres burn because somebody pulls over to the side of road and, th- and throws a, a packet of matches with a cigarette, burning cigarette inside of it, throws it out the window, the cigarette burns down, hits the matches, it flares up, and he might throw 10 of those out and then just go home and wait. It doesn't take much to, to lead to utter destruction. That's exactly what we see taking place in Numbers. Ten men who came back and said, there's no way that we can do this, who gave into their panic, who actively disbelieved God, cultivated an evil, unbelieving heart that fell away from the living God amongst the people. That's what we're not supposed to do. Verse 13 tells us what we are supposed to do, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is what Joshua and Caleb did. They sought to encourage others. Don't rebel against the Lord. We can have victory over this. God is going to strip the protection from our enemies. He's going to give us the victory. We just need to go take this land. God has given it to us. He is going to prevail on our behalf. Yeah, the people of the land are are big. Yeah, there are a lot of them there. Yeah, their cities are fortified. But God will give us the victory. And the, the people didn't believe that. But Joshua and Caleb continued this Voice of encouragement. The first day that they returned, the people heard the bad report, and it says they wept that night, and then the conversation continues. So the next day appears, Caleb had spoken on day one, Joshua speaks on day two. But think about the fact that 40 years now is going to go by, one day for, or one year for each day that the spies were in the, in the land. 40 years is going to go by, and during those 40 years, Joshua and Caleb are going to maintain this testimony. And Joshua maintains that testimony, and he actually leads the people across the Jordan River. God is going to give us this land. They could have had the land 40 years before. They didn't because the people rebelled and that generation had to die. So Joshua, in the face of waiting... And Caleb, in the face of waiting for 40 years, they maintain their faith. I think that that's because they're speaking to one another and they're speaking to Moses. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The book of James, James opens up with a, 
an, an exhortation. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance <coughs> and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Lord is going to allow various trials, various tribulations and sufferings to come into our lives in order to test our faith. And when our faith has been tested and has endured, then that endurance has a perfect result. And it perfects us and it completes us. Paul was in absolute agreement with this. In Romans 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Well, that's kind of nutty, exulting in your tribulations, exulting in your suffering. But he says, we know that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So James and Paul and the, and the, the other New Testament writers are in agreement that the suffering that we endure purifies our faith it purifies our lives it creates perseverance within us that perseverance provides proven character not just character but proven character we could say that that character means good character here but i think the sense is the proven it brings about a proven character of faith and of life and that proven character then provides hope as we go through event after event after event, as we struggle through, we, we face some things with a fullness of faith. Other things we face with uncertainty and we're not sure what's going to happen. But the Lord proves himself as that goes on and our, the character of our faith and the nature of our faith is proven to be true, then we grow in hope. And as we see more events take place, those events have less and less power to discourage us because of what God has already done in our past. And because the love of the Lord has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. These ten that are, that are talked about in Numbers 13 and 14, they, they were men who were not content to keep their disbelief to themselves. They, they had to evangelize with their disbelief. They had to spread their disbelief. They need others to side with them. The wicked have a need to tear down the faith of others. And it can be hard to stand in the face of that. But we have this promise in verse 14 of Hebrews 3. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. We have become partakers of Christ. And notice that it doesn't say we will become partakers of Christ if we hold fast. It's not saying that by, by exercising unyielding faith and unquestioning faith and never giving up at the end of our lives, we will be rewarded with eternal life. What it says is we have become partakers of Christ if our faith can endure. And the proof that our faith endures is the proof that it, it continues in the face of opposition and the face of suffering. Now, there's an important word here today or word here, and it's the word today. Yesterday is gone. Yesterday is already history. 
If you sinned yesterday, that sin is under the blood of Christ. If you were righteous yesterday, if you did good things yesterday, they're being tracked by the Lord. They're not lost to you. But yesterday is gone. There's none of us in this room who are so important that they're going to record our lives in history books and teach about us in the next generation. But every one of us has a history that is complete in our past. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow doesn't exist. We don't know if we have a tomorrow. We don't have a right to a tomorrow. We don't have a claim on tomorrow. Our expectation is tomorrow afternoon, Linda and Grace will be flying to Arizona, but a a million different things could happen that could prevent that from taking place. We don't know about tomorrow, and yesterday is gone. What we have is today. See, today I can trust. Whatever I did yesterday is, is now past and there's nothing I can do. Tomorrow's not here yet, but today I can trust. Today I can live in faith. Today I can encourage others in their faith. Today I can let others encourage me in my faith. And that ongoing nature of faith is what provides us with this assurance that we have become partakers of Christ. Have become partakers of Christ, not will become. It's important that we see the remaining four verses here verses 16 through 19, because again, it it points back to that event in the book of Numbers. For who provoked him when they had heard? Well, it wasn't the Egyptians. It wasn't the Canaanites. It wasn't the Hittites or the Amalekites. It was those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. They're the ones who provoked God. Verse 17, with whom was he angry for 40 years? It wasn't the Egyptians. It wasn't the Babylonians or the Ninevites. It was with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? It wasn't the Egyptians. It wasn't the traditional enemies of the people. It it was those who were disobedient. See, the point here is, is to say, having been delivered out of Egypt, they were still short of entering the promised land. Having put our faith in Christ, having confessed Christ, we have not yet arrived at at heaven. We have not yet arrived at our destination. We have not yet arrived at Christ's likeness. But some of the people who he's writing to have made a false profession of faith. They've said, yeah, we're Christians, we'll buy this whole Jesus thing, we'll believe that he's the satisfaction. And they had various reasons for doing that. And it's important that they understand that that genuine faith will continue, and genuine faith must continue. And the fact that, that somebody has been baptized, or somebody went forward at an altar call, or somebody prayed a prayer doesn't mean that God will not be angry with them, or provoke, or that they can't provoke him, or that he will not Reject them as being unbelievers. He's not going to take away life that he has given when somebody has been saved. They have been saved. Being born again, there's no no death after being born again. Being born again means you're protected against the second death. We have a security with him. 
But standing in our position, standing where we are, looking at the world through our eyes with the limitations that we have as we face those moments of suffering, as we face those moments of doubt and and uncertainty, then the exhortation is don't give up. Don't stop believing. Don't turn away from the Lord. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fall away. Jesus or John the Baptist said to the the Pharisees, do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The Pharisees were were fond of saying, we are uh, are descended from the patriarchs and that makes us right with God. And John says, it doesn't make you right with God. And the writer of Hebrews says, the people that died in the wilderness were the children of the patriarchs. They died because of unbelief. Now, verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. It it doesn't say that they were not able to enter because they had fears or because they had doubts or because they had questions that were not being answered. Unbelief here is is not what we might think sometimes as, as unbelief. I'm having trouble hanging on. We face circumstances and think to ourselves, I don't know what to do with the situation. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe here. But there's a big difference between saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I trust you because you're good and because you're holy, and saying, I don't know what God is doing here, and so I choose to disbelieve. That's what these people were doing. Jesus says to the Jews in John chapter 8, to the Pharisees, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The language here is the sense of unless you are believing that I am him, unless belief is the the way you live your life, you are going to die in your sins. Now, lest you be fearful, because our faith is not perfect, our faith is is never constant. Our faith is, is never without a certain amount of, of question and doubt. There is a, a section in Mark's gospel that will be an, an encouragement to you. Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He was transfigured before them, which means that they saw him in his glorified state before his glorification and resurrection had taken place. They saw him speaking with Elijah and Moses. (coughs) They come down off of the mountain. Verse 14 says, When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with the spirit, which makes him mute, a demon. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Jesus answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit, the demon, threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, and I don't believe. I do believe, but it's really hard to believe. I do believe, but I'm, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. I'm just barely getting my fingernails in, into faith here. I do believe, but my belief is mixed with fear and uncertainty and terror for my son. And I don't know what to think. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. Our faith is is never going to be perfect. Our faith is always going to have a certain amount of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The question is, when we face those moments, when, when we're uncertain and we're unstable, do we fall toward the Lord? We, we've had to say to ourselves many times over the years, and we've said to many, time, many times to others over the years, facing circumstances that we can't explain and we can't solve, I believe that God is good and I believe that God is just and he will do what is right. We just have to have that confidence. And there are many times when Linda and I have no idea what's next. We, we just can't see what's around the corner. Uh, my mom and I, when we were in Colorado, uh, we were in Canyon City, and, and there's a, a road, it's just a couple of miles long, called Skyline Drive. And uh, you get on Skyline Drive and you start climbing a ridge, and then you end up on, on top of this ridge line, and there, there are places where if you got out of your car, you would almost immediately fall hundreds of feet. It's just a, it's just a razorback. It's really kind of fun. But there's, there's a point, and uh, I did it on the motorcycle, and it was hairy on the motorcycle, but it was actually worse than the car because the car blocks more. There's a point where you're coming up, and there's, there's no slope around you. So as you're going up, the front of the car blocks the road. And you kind of wonder, am I going to just drive off of a cliff? And, of course, you don't. You come over the, the, the top, it's, but it's, it's a little bit of a thrill ride. There are times that we can't see what's right in front of us, and we don't know what's going to happen. Do we fall into the hands of God? Do we let ourselves fall over that way and say, I don't know what you're going to do, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you? Or do we say, because I can't see, I can't trust you, and leap out? And if we leap out, we leap out to our damnation. That's the whole point here. He's not just saying in Hebrews, this is about how you can have a little bit more peace versus a little bit more turmoil this is life and death that's why he uses the illustration from the old testament that he uses we had a a dear friend in california he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer went through a, a pretty horrific surgery to remove the cancer they loaded him up with 
gobs and gobs of, of narcotics for pain. And uh, a month or two after the surgery, his two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter got into some of her mother's medications and ate a bottle and died. And it, it was absolutely gruesome for us and for everybody concerned. And I remember saying to this man, he said, I, I don't have the strength to hang on. I don't have the ability. And I remember saying to him, the Lord Jesus has you by the scruff of the neck like you hold a puppy, and he's not going to let you go. You're in an absolute panic now. You're so filled with grief and pain that you, you can't even see straight. But he is hanging on to you. And we know that Jesus is hanging on to us because we continue to be drawn to him. We continue to be longing for him and needing him. This is why we're told encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today. There's never a day that we don't need that encouragement. There's never a day that we can't give that encouragement to someone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us and for the encouragement of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you empower us and call us to strengthen one another and to encourage one another. In this life, we're going to have trouble. Jesus, you said. You also said, take heart because you have overcome the world. As long as we are in this life, trouble is going to be a part of it. But the day is coming when we will cross your Jordan and we will enter the promised land and trouble will be behind us. And we thank you that that is true. We thank you for that promise. We ask, Lord, when we are too weak to hold on to you, Please let us know that you're holding on to us. Surround us with others who are stronger in their faith in that moment. And Lord, for the sake of your glory and for the sake of mercy, keep any of us from being one of the ten who are willingly, willfully disbelieving you. Rather, Lord, let us be like Joshua and Caleb who don't know how, but know that you will give the victory. We thank you for this day. We lift up those who are not with us this morning and ask that you would bless them and strengthen them. Remind us of them that we may pray for them and exhort them this week. And bring us back again next week, Lord, to be encouraged together again. And in your name we pray. Amen.